Welcome to Muffliato, a Harry Potter podcast where we fill your ears to prevent you from hearing nearby conversations. I'm Josh. And I'm Blake. And today we are like kids in a candy shop as we explore a very magical place. We continue our journey through Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone and come now to the fifth chapter, Diagon Alley. Now, Josh, if you were to ask people the first place that they would visit in the magical world, most would probably say Hogwarts, correct? I think so. I think it'd be fair. Uh, yeah. And, but would you say that Diagon Alley uh, would be the second? And would it be for you? Oh, would it be for me? I think so. I think Diagon Alley would definitely be uh, choice number two for me. I think it's the place where so many people fell in love with the magical world, uh, both through the book and through the movie. Um, I think yeah. the movie does an amazing job of showing just how special this place is. And um, certainly our imaginations also fill in um, this chapter with great color and excitement. And I, I would love to go to Diagon Alley. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking like, okay, you've got, you know, Hogsmeade and, and places like like that. But then again, I feel like you don't get a, a big enough view of Hogsmeade to be like, oh, that no, is a place I no. really want to go to. You know, Shrieking Shack and um, Zonko's Joke Shop. I feel like, yeah, you get a bigger and better picture of Diagon Alley. And there's just so much magical things that's like happening and, and things that are going on there, as well as Gringotts and, you know, where all your money is and stuff so I, I feel like that would be my very close second i mean hogwarts is great but i feel like you are exposed to so much magic um you know that the the wizarding community uses like potion ingredients and and uh you know broomsticks things like that that it would make Diagon Alley the the very close second yeah, this this is in um, just about every way the capital of the magical world in the United Kingdom. Um, yeah, you know it's it's the place where the finance center is located. It's um, you know definitely nearby to where <clears throat> the Ministry of Magic is. Um, all of these things coming together. You know, this is the capital city. This is where the people gather. This is where the people um, exchange business. This is this is where it has it all. Um, this is the only place you can buy your school supplies before going to Hogwarts. That's a good point. I wonder if there's a, like a, a full service place in Hogsmeade where, or do you always have to come into to Diagon Alley? Yeah, but you know, I mean, Hogsmeade it's... is is very very far north so surely there'd be something but yeah i don't know i mean with magic you can go anywhere and be anywhere and uh, in this in a split second so that's pretty good but it's a magical place and and this whole chapter is is dedicated to i guess harry's introduction to diagonally and getting all his school supplies correct that's right on that note let's do a recap sounds good so harry awakes on his 11th birthday dreading that he must have had the most fantastic of dreams Surely he imagined that a giant told him that he was a wizard and that he was going to a school of magic. To Harry's surprise and delight, the giant was still sleeping nearby when he woke, and his life was indeed changed forever. Hagrid and Harry set off for Diagon Alley to purchase Hogwarts school supplies. Here, Harry is recognized as a conquering hero known by everyone, but who knows no one and who feels like he knows nothing. Harry receives Hedwig, his wand, and all other relevant Hogwarts supplies. The day, however, is not without its challenges for Harry, who leaves Diagon Alley painfully aware of how foreign this new world is to him. Yeah. Now, when reading uh, just uh, that, Josh, you said Hagrid and Harry set off for Diagon Alley. And it's something that uh, when I was uh, listening through uh, this chapter uh, and I sort of had to take back to the book and, and, and read through it, I found that when Hagrid and Harry leave, they take the boat, um, you know, the, the Dursleys, they're still on they this sure little do. kind of <laughs> yeah. island. And I, I just realized that they take the one and only boat. And I'm wondering how the Dursleys uh, get back to, to shore, get back to land. You know, how often, like how soon after, you know, Harry leaves, they go, well, I mean, if Harry's gone, we may as well just go back to our home now. Uh, <laughs> and then all of a sudden there's no boat. So I just, yeah, it was one of the things uh, I thought about and uh, was like, that's a little bit, uh, a little bit um, humorous because they're probably, 
trying to you know signal boats passing yeah. by saying that they're they're trapped or or whatever but no just a, a random random thought to me but i really do love this chapter i think it's a, mm. a, a really fun one because we get to see uh more of the wizarding world and uh, a lot of different people and, and kind of things like that that really build up this story for us yeah, definitely. This is a chapter that certainly involves all of our senses. We can uh, see the the towering Gringotts Bank at the end of the street. We can hear the different uh, vendors calling to mm. um, patrons for their business. We can yeah. almost smell the um, reeking smells of the apothecary where potion Oof. ingredients are bought, and certainly the 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 treats along the way as well. And uh, yeah. it, it's just an unbelievable chapter, um, which, which just brings us into the magical world like none before it. Um, we've, we've heard about Hogwarts. We've heard about um, Harry's uh, wizarding parents, but we have not yet entered into this place. And this is just such a key chapter for that reason. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and I mean, we've talked about it. Harry comes into this, I guess, new place. And I think our key theme is, is around that. And our key theme is discovery and kind of that discovery of a new world. You know, Harry believes, I think, before he comes to uh, Diagon Alley that, yeah, this is real. You know, he, when he wakes up that morning at the start of the chapter, uh, he thinks it's all been a dream. Uh, he thinks he's back in, uh, you know, the, the cupboard under the stairs, but he's not. He wakes up. Hagrid uh, is still there. And uh, we see that, like, this is actually real. Uh, and I think he I think he starts to believe it's a, a good explanation of what happened to his parents and all that. And then, but now he comes into i guess the the yeah like you said the hub uh like a hub of the wizarding world and it's just this like for the first time this whole discovery of new things yeah and i think it's really important that for harry um this is not a world that he is inhabiting by himself it's it's not yeah. as though he has um, stumbled upon this new place um a la um, you know, Chronicles of Narnia, in, in a way. Um, uh, it, yes, it's not yeah. as though he's there first, but he is coming into this place that is fully and totally, um, you know, uh, a place that is going on with its normal business or its normal activities, and Harry just kind of gets thrown in. Um, I think for Harry to have discovered the magical world by himself um, would have led to severe doubt that anything was really going on. Um, but but the fact that he is brought in as a as a guest as a um, as a guest who who is not familiar, but as someone who rightfully should be a a resident of this place. Um, I think that adds to his confidence that this, in fact, is not a dream, but is the most real thing for him. Yeah. And, and we 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 see that, you know, Harry is always kind of the the new kid on the block uh, in a lot of ways for a lot of things, even further down uh, in the series. You know, there's new things uh, that Harry just hasn't experienced himself. Um, you know, in this chapter, we even learn like he, he has no idea what uh, Quidditch is. And so he has never had that joy uh, and so he discovers things all throughout so I guess that is a, a theme a little bit of a theme and would be uh, you know maybe a sub theme for a lot of chapters throughout this book the next and the one after because Harry you know comes from a completely you know non-magical uh, place uh, and just has no idea about this stuff so it, it makes sense that you know there's going to be a discovery there's going to be all these new things that come into to Harry's life, uh, you know, further on down the series as well. Yeah, and and this, like you said, this is like the the start of the of the spiral, the start of the circle um, that is certainly going to come up again and again, um, but perhaps never more um, specifically, never more in as in as much detail as in yeah, after where um, yeah. yeah where things are really introduced for the first time. Yeah, definitely. And moving into talking about characters, because obviously we we get treated in this chapter, I find, with uh, a lot of uh, wonderful people. Uh, they, they might not be, say, main characters. Uh, people will be seeing in every chapter or in, you know, in every book. Uh, but I find that it's just so wonderful that, you know, with uh, a lot of this uh, yeah, new, uh, new place and with the world building that JK does, she brings in some characters to fill that. Uh, and the first place we kind of come to is 
the leaky cauldron and uh, just the the patrons inside there. One thing I think is so fantastic about the leaky cauldron is how it's described as they go to it. Um, you know, uh, Harry is is thinking, how on earth could this place possibly exist within um, London? Um, where, where should it be? <laughs> where, where is it? Um, and then, and then they're, as they're just passing down the road, Hagrid says this, this is it coming to a halt, the leaky cauldron. <laughs> it's a famous place. And, and the description is just fantastic. It was a tiny grubby looking pub. If Hagrid hadn't pointed it out, Harry wouldn't have noticed it was there. The people hurrying by didn't glance at all. Their eyes slid from the big bookshop on one side to the record shop on the other, as if they couldn't see the leaky cauldron at all. In fact, mm. Harry had the most peculiar feeling <laughs> that the only he and Hagrid could see it. So yeah. already there we see some of the um, magical enchantments certainly at work um, yeah. hiding uh, the leaky cauldron in plain sight, something that wizards will often uh, use instead of hiding. Yep, they, they do love concealment. They love concealment and they love being able to, um, as best as possible, go about their lives without having to um, adjust them too greatly. Like if they can hide something where people will see it and yet pay no attention that's that's wonderful for them yeah and um, and when i was looking into uh, uh and we'll, we'll, you know we could mention it later just when talking about world, world building but i found it uh, quite funny that uh, with the leaky cauldron um just on a bit of background reading there was actually a brew uh, that they made up for people who came in that they would serve them that was just terrible tasting uh, a oh, terrible right. tasting drink that kind of made them not want to come back uh, and so it was quite uh, quite interesting because i was like yeah that, that makes a lot of sense that they would want to you know because it's connected to the i guess the the muggle world uh, they they want to make sure that nobody comes back it has a bad name and the only people going there are essentially uh, people who know about the wizarding world so just a, a little side uh so side, side note but i was yeah, yeah. Uh, intrigued by that but yeah i mean we we come into the leaky cauldron we uh, have tom the the tom. barman and, and tom comes comes back but he greets Hagrid like he's a an old friend and and Very knows that uh, <laughs> a regular customer and we know that throughout the series you know Hagrid uh can you know he can handle his drink or can he that is the real question <laughs> <laughs> depends on how much he drinks I'm assuming but uh yeah oh man oh very good um, so not only do we see Tom but we also see some um, kind of background characters that help fill out the world. Um, hmm. see Doris Crockford, and then of course um, Daedalus Diggle, who Harry has in fact met before. Yes. Um, yep. And these these characters again, not not really major plot points in our story, um, but they they just serve to to show how the average Witcher wizard interacts with this celebrity. Um, yes. Yeah. Good point. And 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 really, they they give us an uh, an understanding that it's not just Harry's schoolmates who think he's famous. It's not just the teachers at Hogwarts, and it's not just um, those who idolize him. But your average um, person within this world is proud to quote Doris to meet Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> yeah. Daedalus Diggle is delighted that Harry Potter remembers him, that he's met him before. It's um, it's really a great little peek through the curtain just to see yeah. um, how these people think of Harry in their everyday lives. Yeah, I mean, you, you take a movie star, right? Uh, someone, mm, you know, yeah. real famous. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, if you, you know, you met them once before and then you came back and then th they said, oh, I, I, I met you before, you know, a few years ago or something like that. All of a sudden you're going, oh, me? Like, he what? Like, you know, and so yeah. that kind of idea, Harry is this big celebrity without even knowing it. Um, and so it is quite a, a cool way that uh, JK uses to actually tell you, no, no, everybody knows Harry Potter uh, and everybody is kind of just like has Harry Potter has that sort of buzz uh, around him. Like, you know, and he, you know, the whole, the whole uh, leaky cauldron goes silent and everybody hears what, you know, like, Oh, it's Harry Potter here. And kind of everybody's interested coming over wanting to say hi. Uh, but we have uh, one more person that does get introduced to Harry and that is professor Quirrell. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if I would do the stutter justice, so I left it off. But Josh, you are <laughs> always good uh, at those impressions. So, uh, oh, uh, yeah, Professor Quirrell. 
That's right. Uh, Professor Quirrell, who um, is is definitely um, excited to meet Harry, and um, we're, we're not sure at this point whether or not his stammering is, is related to that. Um, but he introduces as, himself as the Defense Against the Dark Arts uh, teacher. Um, I love the little line by J.K. Um, he's, he says it as though he'd rather not think about it. So he's mm. not... He's not excited about his subject right now. Um, he's looking terrified. Um, and then later on, we see uh, Harry ask Hagrid some questions. Um, that this is normal behavior for Professor Quirrell, although it is normal recent behavior. Um, that he has been acting this way since his trip back from the Black Forest. Yeah, yeah. So it's a sort of a, a nod forward uh, to a, an explanation that uh, Quirrell gives uh, later down in the book uh, about some, you know, evil, nefarious purposes and, and things that he's doing. Uh, but we we definitely see that this uh, trip definitely he he got more than maybe. Well, no, I think he was asking for it. He was in he was in search, I think, of those those things, uh, and uh, and he got them. And we will learn more about that later. And, you know, I, th- I think we could definitely dive into Professor Quirrell and his motives and, and his desires probably further down the, maybe the track when we, we see more of that. Uh, and speaking of Professor Quirrell, one of the things I think is interesting is that um, there is a slight difference uh, between what I believe the book says about Professor Quirrell's appearance and what the movie interprets. Um, in the movie, of course, Professor Quirrell meets Harry already wearing his very famous purple turban. But I believe there's good reason, Blake, um, to think that Professor Quirrell, at least in the story of the books, was not yet wearing his turban. In fact, that he was not yet possessed by Voldemort at this point. Um, Later in the chapter, uh, The Sorting Hat, once the students are at Hogwarts, there are two different references to Quirrell's turban, um, both from the point of view of Harry, um, told by the narrator, about uh, this turban. It's described first as Professor Quirrell looking very peculiar in his large purple turban. And then second, that Quirrell was wearing an absurd turban, talking to Professor Snape. Um, And I think that if we can put these pieces of evidence together and put these clues together, um, we can get this bigger and better and more accurate idea that Harry would not have been surprised to see Quirrell in this way. Remember, as a first year, he, unlike the other students, um, would have actually thought this is just how Quirrell looked if he always wore this absurd turban. Yeah, it's it's nothing new to him because he would have seen, you know, him in his turban at the the leaky cauldron but uh, i think like in the movies that's what it that's what it shows maybe they're just you know that's how they interpret it maybe they're just kind of reducing uh i guess the work because it's one costume um but uh, we definitely it's it's after the failed attempt uh, i think yeah. that then uh, Quirrell adopts the uh, the turban and uh, uses it to essentially conceal uh, lord voldemort who is keeping an eye on him yeah, definitely. Um, and, and I think that on that point blank of less work, I think it's also less work for the audience that they don't have to recognize that yeah. this guy that Harry meets is the same guy with the turban. Um, I, I think it's probably yeah. nothing more than that. And and also, I think for, for the those movie watches at the end of the movie, when he undoes his turban and Voldemort is there, I think because, you know, they would they almost might think right at the start, well, well you know. Yeah, he had a full head of hair at the, uh, you know, the start of the start of the year. What happened? And and nothing is shown that it's just confusing. And so I think it. Yeah, they they probably made the right choice and just uh, just having him in a turban the whole time, uh, but that wouldn't be the case in the books. Yeah, yeah, and and just further explaining um, the timeline here, um, Quirrell's own explanation of what had happened. Um, gives us an insight as to what he has done and when Voldemort will ultimately possess him. Explaining in the last chapter of the book uh, to Harry, um, or sorry, the is it the last chapter? Maybe the second last chapter. Um, so in the last chapter, uh, the man with two faces, um, Quirrell explains uh, to Harry what is going on. And he says, he does not forgive mistakes easily. When mm. I failed to steal the stone from Gringotts, he was most displeased. He punished me, decided he would have to keep a closer watch on me. Um, yeah. And so, you know, we, we know that Quirrell is going to steal or attempt to steal 
the Philosopher's Stone from Gringotts, but he has not yet been possessed by Voldemort. And I think I think that's key for just one uh, more reason, Blake, if you'll allow me. Um, yeah, go for it. Is that is that as as we look at um, the opening night feast? Um, listen to this description. Um, Professor Quirrell, in his absurd turban, was talking to a teacher with greasy black hair, a hooked nose, and sallow skin. It happened very suddenly. The hooked nosed teacher looked past Quirrell's turban straight into Harry's eyes, and a sharp, hot mm. shot across the scar on Harry's forehead. Um, and that, of course, is the first mention of this um, connection that exists between Lord Voldemort and the scar. Obviously, it has a initial yep. um, relationship that we've talked about already um, occurring the night that Harry's parents died and Harry lived. But this continuing ongoing relationship, that's the first time we see um, Harry be able to put something more to it than just this flash of green light. He's had dreams before about this flash of green light, but this is the first time that it happens with some more information. Yeah. And it did not happen when he met Quirrell in the Leaky Cauldron. Uh, that's that's a really good point, and and it's that you know surely in close proximity potentially like that it would have happened, or yeah. at least maybe because um, you know Quirrell was talking to Professor Snape and uh, was fa- you know the back of his head was facing Harry. Uh, I mean you know it, it's not like it would happen all the time because definitely surely uh, Quirrell was writing on the board um, you know in the classroom and uh, you know that sort of thing was there as well. But it, it's just a really wonderful way that J.K. uses to say, hey, you know, clearly I'm drawing attention to Snape, like Snape's the bad yeah. guy. Oh, yeah, you know, she describes really Snape well. in a real That's slimy so way. So, so good. And you just think like, okay, that makes sense. And sure, we've read the book multiple times. But, uh, you know, if you're reading it for the first time, it really is done well that you can read the book again and go, I see what she did there. It's the back of the Quirrell. Like, that's why Harry, you know, has that pain. So Professor Quirrell is an amazing character. And I think when we, when we, you know, look at him a little bit further in in the books and and see his motives and, and stuff like that, I think it's definitely worth taking a bit of time and, and talking about uh but even you know later down the track in in a in an episode maybe far far away and talking about a, char- a specific characters i think professor quirrell would be a, a good one because it is interesting to see who would you know allow i guess voldemort to to kind of have them or at least uh seek him out and uh to kind of seek power and what the, you know the depths people will go uh to get power and 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 to be noticed just on that, um, the speaking of the power that that people go to get noticed and to really go to the dark side, um, it, it's interesting how so many characters start off their relationship with Voldemort thinking that they are the ones who are in control. They're the yeah. ones getting getting the thing from yeah. Voldemort when really, it's always Voldemort getting the thing yeah. from them. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, yeah, so Professor Quirrell. Josh being the most kind of, the, I guess, the biggest name in this chapter because uh, that's it's probably the most important introduction. But apart from that, we see Grip Hook uh, in the yeah, uh, in Gringotts. Uh, Grip Hook, of course, back. make a, a a big appearance later. Yeah, in, uh, the, the Deathly Hallows. Yeah, so very kind of it's kind of fun to to see him and uh, and then we get as, Mr. As Ollivander. Mr. Ollivander, right? Yeah, those two, two characters those together two are very important. And uh, my wife and I just finished watching the uh, the last movie, and you know they just play so much uh, into that uh, last uh, book. And uh, I think it's real cool that I mean, Mr. Ollivander is a kind of a slightly mysterious man. Um, it's you know Harry's not so keen on him. He's he's kind of not. Fond of the dark arts, but he he knows that there's power in it, um, and uh, you know, surely you've got to be, surely you've got to be a little bit loopy if you're just working with wands all day and maybe don't have uh, the the yeah. kind of uh, encounters with people. I mean, kids coming through the store, but you're just dealing with magical magical wands, and so it might might drive you a little up. Also, walls. like, how much business does he get from like September 10th to? 
you know, yeah, July good, 1st. <laughs> good point, because I feel like it, it must be an influx during that time. And then after that, yeah. it's like maybe he does like wand s- servicing, yeah, uh, maybe. you know, yeah. and and minor fixes. Out, honestly. Yeah. He, yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, you know, Gringotts, obviously it's a bank. It's ha- it's busy all year round, but like a wand shop is a bit a bit different. But yeah, apart from uh, Mr. Ollivander, we, we go to uh, see a little bit about Madame Malkin. Not a huge character, but we uh, get a little taste of a an annoying uh, uptight mm. boy uh, who's in Madame Malkin's robe shop. And uh, we later find out that that's uh, Malfoy, Draco Malfoy. Yeah. And and one note I made here, Blake, was that um, as as we meet little Malfoy, um, he he makes a comment about about those who were not brought up as witches and wizards. Um, yeah. And, and he says this, I really don't think they should let the other sort in. Do you <laughs> just not the same? They've never been brought up to know our ways. Um, and, and the point of, I made there is that Madame Elkin says nothing. Um, and, mm. and, you know, Perhaps we could we could think, oh, she's just being kind to her customers, but but this is this is what we would classify as very openly racist or discriminatory behavior, um, and and I think part of the problem we can see later is that when these ideas of of separate um, separate things for Muggles and for purebloods or halfbloods start coming up, is that. I think a lot of wizards and witches are kind of okay with it. They just would never take action. Um, mm. and kind of just get swept under the rug by lots of people when there's no threat that anything will actually happen. And so yeah. you know, Malfoy's allowed to spout this rudeness in the shop without Malkin saying anything. I think from one of the later books, um, it's when we, I believe are first introduced to Draco's mother and yeah. They're in the the store getting their robes, and I think uh, I don't know what uh, Draco says. Whether it's he says uh, mud blood or something like that. I believe Madame Malkin steps in then and kind of says, right. you know, there's there's no need for that language. I, I think is kind of the sum up of what she does, but. I, I agree that there's, you know, there's probably a lot in the, the wizarding community that that just goes, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say anything, but I agree. Um, it should be, you know, to magical families only, and they shouldn't let the other sort in. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's a that's a huge theme. And, and J.K. even herself in interviews has, you know, acknowledged that, that that one of the the largest themes going through it is that degree of separation of, you know, pure bloods, and we're better than you, and that kind of like uh, sort of racism type uh, idea throughout the book that it just, you know, it's there. It's always present with some of these people and some of these characters. Yeah, absolutely. And and just that idea too, that while, um, while some characters might find it distasteful when they use certain words or certain language, they're content to let it kind of pass by and yeah um, just that reminder that those those things don't die if they're not you know addressed and fought against um yeah it's it's you know just as important um you know speaking out against things even if you're not the one saying uh, uh, saying it, uh, the importance, if you remain silent uh, in that time, it's, uh, you know, it's this kind of moment of agreeance, um, where you're actually not saying, excuse me, you know, we, we don't tolerate that or, or whatever. So it's, yeah. uh, it's pretty intense, but you know, we, we're taken through with the, all these characters, we're taken throughout Diagon Alley, um, which is a fantastic place. And I think stepping into talking about world building, we've, we've mentioned a few, of these places, uh, but Diagon Alley has, uh, you know, I mean, what are we introduced to? We've got Leaky Cauldron, we've got, you know, the Owl Emporium, we've got the Robe Shop and uh, Flourish and Blots and Ollivanders. And so we're kind of treated to quite a lot here. Yeah, we, we see just, again, shop upon shop mm. uh, where where these normal for Diagon Alley, uh, witches and, war- and and wizards run their businesses, and um, and and they have everything that you'd expect them to have, just as we might have a um, a place that has all uh, the the necessary needs for for yeah. business and for school. They they have the same thing, and it's all there, um, and it's just an amazing little corner of of the wizarding world that um, that again brings people together and and really. Um, gets everyone into the same place those couple yeah. times. Sure. Josh, 
I have a quick question for you. The, out of those places uh, that we get introduced to in this chapter, what store would be your favorite? I've got mine in my okay. head, and I'm wondering what what would you say? I kind of maybe have an idea of what you'd say, but I'd just be curious. Hey. Ooh, man. I'm not sure now. No, I'm not. <laughs> no, I don't know. Yeah. You're, like, you're like, oh, my goodness. Uh, what's Blake going to say? Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah, so I think Ollivanders would be amazing. But oh, okay, okay. I think, I think it would be a one-time kind of amazing. Um, yes, I think, yep. I think Flourish and Blots would be the place I would go and keep going back to because yep. it's got the stationery, um, it's got the books, it's got everything, and there's always something new there. So that is what my my answer is as well flourish and blots um yeah. and uh, it's what i thought you were going to say first i mean <laughs> i agree with the the wand you know as soon as you go there once it's like wow this is amazing it's my wand but then you're done but uh flourish and blots because you have so much magical information on the world at large it just would blow you away like you would pick up a book and be like this is interesting and then you pick up another one and be like i'm just going to stay here and uh, so it just was a it was a thought that i head but I'm, I'm glad we kind of landed sort of on the same page there uh, because whilst animals are great i mean like to go into a you know a new world if you were to then say here's this new world's library all of a sudden you've got access to so much info absolutely absolutely and i think one of the things that is at the at one time truly unbelievable and then on the other hand entirely believable is how little the harry potter um world students read um <laughs> As, yeah. as someone who teaches that age group, it is entirely believable that they don't read very much. Um, yep. And yet, with all this new information, it's entirely unbelievable that they don't spend more time reading and learning more about this you know, place. It's, it's as yeah. if they wait. they wait for things to go to custard, and then they're like, oh, man, we better go to the library now, <laughs> instead yep. of just of, you know, like I think it's, it's it's only Hermione Granger, right? That's read oh, probably yeah, right. every yeah. every book and is that perfect student. J.K. Rowling understands teenagers pretty well. Uh, yes. I'll give her that one. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. Yeah, so true. Um, we get Gr- uh, Gringotts, uh, the yeah, Wizards Gringotts. Bank, which is a very exciting place uh, that we kind of uh, do see throughout uh, the the books gone by, and we see goblins that you know this kind of new uh, race in the Wizarding world, are separate from. Uh, the normal wizards from uh, some of the other races with intelligence, um, like centaurs and things like that. Uh, But they are kind of the Gringotts workers and managers. Uh, But the the biggest thing about that is we get to, uh, we get introduced to currency Uh, and we've got our dollars and, you know, JK, you know, they've got their pounds and things like that. And in the muggle world, but uh, we get some really weird currency names here uh and uh it's a really interesting conversions but it's knuts sickles and galleons yeah and and these these three coins you know there's no paper money are used with seemingly complete ease by the wizarding world Mm. Um, as as you mentioned very strange uh conversion rate um and and yet and yet she just making it. up numbers i know and 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 you know there's a there's a long-running joke in in harry potter um you know f- f- fan uh, f- fandom that um that there's very rarely any math taught anywhere at hogwarts yes. well I-, I think that their basic math skills are taken care of if they just have to learn how to use money you know so true yeah at least their their 17 and 29 times tables are are taken care of <laughs> yeah and and it's like it's funny that you mentioned kind of the the harry potter fandom at large yeah. because money is something that people have been talking about for a while and uh you know us even now as we're discussing it but things like how much wands cost how much yes. animals yes. cost how much a broomstick costs it's you know we'll see it later on i think it's worth maybe talking about then uh but it is just funny that like we get a lot of issues that come up kind of like with the uh, the population of hogwarts that issue um and uh, where we we fall in but yeah canuts sickles and galleons we all want galleons right galleons are the gold it's kind of the the the, the worth the most galleons make the world go round as they exactly say. there's probably only one galleon sitting in the weasley bank uh you know yeah. and so it's pretty hard you know you just think come on harry just share a little love well he tries but he knows that and, they and would not know, this is this is not uh canon um 
but it there is a, a conversion rate on um, on where we can understand a little bit about how much uh, galleons are worth in um, you know to, to be exchanged for pounds sterling um, or you know American dollars um, and and roughly this is in 2010 going off okay. Of, uh, Rowling's uh, notes in Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Um, mm. This is just an estimation, but it says that one galleon would be worth approximately uh, 4.93 pounds, roughly $6.64 U.S. Um, wow. So it's it's pretty it's a pretty good exchange rate, you know. That that being said, however, um, certainly as being made of real gold, it would be worth far more in <laughs> gold. But you can't destroy galleons like that, so you can't melt them. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean that would be the dream, but uh, it ain't uh, ain't gonna happen like that, Josh. So yeah, so I I think that's really interesting because that that concept of money and you know what you spend it on and how much each thing is worth comes back with you know things they need to buy like set books and 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 things like that all throughout the series um but like when you know ron breaks his wand uh, in uh, chamber of secrets and you know he's got to get a new or he will get a new one it's just like it costs money and you know the the weasleys don't have a whole lot um and yeah it definitely is something that in this chapter we find out that harry has a lot of money a lot of money yeah that would be a probably an understatement clearly his parents were doing well for themselves uh, but <laughs> apart from that we get we get treated to like learning things that you know there's a newspaper in the wizarding world called the daily prophet and it has moving pictures which is pretty cool uh, i would love I think that's probably that. one of my favorite um film devices used in the harry <sighs> potter movies are how they yes use- profit to advance time yeah that's so true it, it just they it's one that you know when writing it's oh cool the pictures move but when you see it visually in the movies it yeah. just is incredible they do it so well um and uh, yeah it's a and kind of incredible thing where you're like oh, i wish i could get my hand on that and coming from a designer the the design that they kind of go for it doesn't really explain what the design of the the newspaper is in in the books but it's in the movies, it's very kind of chaotic the way that the the layout is set, uh, and I, you know, I quite like it. The, the the wizarding community are a little bit weird, and so of course their design <laughs> is a bit different as well. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and so not only do we see that, but we hear talk of the Ministry of Magic, and one line that I love is that um, just like in the real world, um, just like in the muggle world, in this fantasy world, and in this world of Harry Potter, um, people are not too impressed with the Ministry of Magic. Um, no. Hagrid makes a great comment, oh, Ministry of Magic, messing things <laughs> up as usual. Uh, and, and it's just so great that our first introduction to government bureaucracy is the fact that a half-giant is very frustrated with how things are run and thinks he could probably yes. do it job it's just um and of course we'll come to learn much more about the ministry of magic later but just for now the fact that people think they're not doing a good job is enough yep. for me i think that's good hilarious. old good old government eh? yeah, yeah exactly yeah <laughs> and we get treated to a bunch of uh set books as well which is cool because harry needs to pick up all his books uh the one that stands out would be fantastic beasts and where to find them by newt scamander obviously i think we all know now that you know jk has now turned this into a whole nother series itself but it's just really cool that she's used this character from uh you know a a, a book author essentially from the first book yeah yeah that's certainly the the most significant uh long-term book there um but but there's another significant book there as well uh, a history of magic by true yeah correct um and and that book will be very significant in the final book and yeah Really throughout, but certainly in uh, Deathly Hallows, where um, they will learn um, so much about this character who knew both Dumbledore and Harry's parents, um, and at the same time was a noted magical historian. So very important. And I mean, like, like you said, it's important throughout, not just in the last book. And I think it's important throughout because it's what Hermione pretty much has memorized and uh, knows. And we get a lot of kind of information just about Hogwarts um, and about kind of magic itself from Hermione. And we trust, you know, she doesn't just info dump. It's like anything she says, it's, Hey, yeah, that's, that's what's, you know, it's, you just read it in a book somewhere. 
from Hogwarts a history or a history of magic, you know, those two books are pretty key. Yeah, I'd love to, I'd almost love to, uh, you know, read a book from Hermione, uh, you know, if she, amazing. Yeah. if she wrote some kind of magical book, you know, it would be, it would be really good. Yes. I, I would love to read Hogwarts of History. I, I'd really hope that it wasn't like a, a Fantastic Beast size book, though, like in the real world. Um, I'd love it to be a big, yes. massive tome. Yeah, because it is very <laughs> – it's like one of those old family Bibles. That's right. That that's is just, those <laughs> yeah. are so thick and you you know put on your gloves before you open yeah, the pages. Right. It's like that's, that's kind of what you're after. Yeah. In addition to um, these, these books, there's also some other supplies that Harry will need. Um, and I think this is uh, just a great uh, little little list here that he'll need a a wand, a cauldron, uh, a set of crystal or glass files, a telescope, brass scales. Those, of course, all pointing to his uh, courses that he'll take. Um, yeah. I think very famously, Blake, in the first uh, printing of the first edition, a wand was listed <laughs> twice and is now yeah. one of the um, hallmark things to look for if you are a Harry Potter book collector. Yeah. Value yeah, I think philosopher's it, it was that, and then I think on the very back page, uh, there was um, I think w- uh, wizarding and witchcraft were like back switched around yeah. or right. yeah. something like that, and those were the marks to find, uh, you know, an, like an original first edition. And and uh, but yeah, the the two wands I find quite interesting because my mind goes instantly to be like, why can you only have one wand? Surely two wands, like like two guns, makes you look way cooler (laughs) (laughs) maybe even you put them together with a little handle and then you'd be like a darth maul yes uh, yes exactly expelliarmus times two right um i mean we don't want voldemort to have avada kedavra times two but two different directions (laughs) (laughs) yeah you end up you end up cursing yourself or or you know make eating slugs um but not because of a broken wand yeah Uh, but Fantastic. Well, in addition to some of these uh, lighthearted things with with books and with um, school lists, we also see something of a bit more of significance, at least Mm. Harry. And that is, of course, his love for his Nimbus 2000 begins in this chapter. Um, And and Harry sees that um, at Quality Quidditch Supplies. Um, and and is just taken with it, and and of course in this chapter, uh, Hagrid explains what Quidditch is to him, and and we can already see this kind of little bit of foreshadowing that that Quidditch is going to be an important thing for Harry. Yeah, yeah, it's something that we when we learn that he his father did that he is is good at, and it's something that kind of connects him to that wizarding world that he actually goes, hey, this I'm I'm good at this. Uh, it's it's I'm not I am a new to it, but I'm I'm good at it, and uh, I think that's really special for him. Josh, the Philosopher's Stone, which is obviously a big part of this uh, mm. chapter, that is it mentioned by name, Josh? No, it isn't. Uh, no, no, yeah, so. So we know that it's the Philosopher's Stone. We don't kind of hear it by name, but Hagrid picks up something in Green Gods that's sort of secured. By the way, interjection, sorry. Uh, oh. It's not until page 236 of the Kindle edition. I don't know what normal page that is, but 69% oh. of the way through the book. Really? Yeah. Fun fact. Um, oh, okay. says, Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. Oh yeah, there you go. Um, all right, uh, let me just trip tr- back. No, no, no. That's right. That's that's yeah. That's interesting. Feel free to jump in with that. But um, yeah, and and so we have something that's very important in this chapter. Uh, Hagrid, when they go and get uh, Harry's money from Gringotts, Hagrid also picks up uh, this package, and we later learn that it's the Philosopher's Stone, uh, but we see it's really important and as a literary device josh i I kind of thought that this philosopher's stone is like a MacGuffin. you know it's it's sort of an object of desire i mean yeah would you would you agree with that or is 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 that what this is yeah so uh just to um give a bit of a definition for what a MacGuffin is um it's an object or device in a film or book which serves merely as a trigger for the plot Mm. Uh, something which uh serves to move the plot along um, something which is primarily 
um, used again for that idea of um, advancing the storyline. Um, and I think this definitely has MacGuffin-like qualities to it. Um, it's it's hugely important to the entire plot. Um, yeah. We don't even know what it is as the reader, first-time reader, yeah. until about two-thirds of the way through the book um, when we, when Hermione finally discovers what this thing is that they're <laughs> yeah. um, guarding so carefully, but it is so important to the plot. Um, however, I would just would add that, that this also tells us some very, very important things about the characters of Harry and the character of, of Lord Voldemort in that we see their desires revealed, especially in the mirror of Erised connected to the Philosopher's Stone. Um, and so I'd say it's more than a MacGuffin, but it certainly plays that role of moving things along in that yeah, yeah. Harry is able to um, receive the stone only because he desires something pure from it. Um, whereas Lord Voldemort is not able to get the stone from the mirror because he desires immortality. Um, and that idea of Voldemort longing for immortality, longing for um, living forever is certainly a re recurring theme throughout the books. Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, I think you've noted down here, Josh, that another uh, literary device is um, just a, an expositional character, Hagrid. I mean, we, we learn so much from him in this chapter because, you know, Harry's yeah. coming into this new place and Hagrid is, uh, I guess, the character that JK uses to inform Harry of a few things. Yeah, we saw it first time last chapter, but this chapter, it, it's just too too much of it to not mention it again. That yeah, yeah. This, this is something that Hagrid does, especially early in the book, um, is that he plays that role of the seasoned magical expert. Um, we come to learn later that it's slightly ironic that Hagrid is the expert. Um, you know, he, <laughs> he, he being the one who's not really allowed to use magic, the one who's not really yeah. trusted by anyone but Dumbledore. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but he definitely does well in in giving us um, in giving us the the introduction to the magical world. Um, and then finally, as another uh, literary device, um, we see uh, J.K. Rowling's first attempt at poetry, um, and she'll do this a few times. And she's not quite uh, Tolkien with her, um, you know elven songs throughout the books but yes uh, yeah no. <laughs> well i think they're much more readable than than tolkien people can uh, can get angry with me if they want but i think her, her goblin poem is excellent um, yeah, no, no bad reviews please uh listen no, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, she she writes enter stranger but take heed of what awaits the sin of greed for those who take but do not earn must pay most dearly in their turn. So if you seek beneath our floors a treasure that was never yours, thief, you have been warned, beware of finding more than treasure there. Uh, it's good. very, very clever, uh, very good. And obviously more poetry and more songs will come later. But I thought it was yeah. a great introduction. Yeah, that's that's so true. Now, now before you jump into uh, just the significance, and we and we go and and summarize that. But foreshadow wise, uh, you know, we get uh, Hagrid uh, telling Harry that he'd, you know, like a dragon, and uh, we know that that comes back. Uh, and then the the big one uh, I thought were just the twin cores uh, that uh, Ollivander reveals that Harry and, and Voldemort's wands both have the same phoenix. A tail feather and we uh, later learn that that's uh, Forks the phoenix um, uh, Dumbledore's phoenix but that they're the same makes them twin cores and that is something that is really uh, used in that last book uh, that, uh, that 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 JK uses to I, th I think another thing that drives the plot is those two wands share the same core and that are almost like brothers yeah. Yeah. And, and I think you just mentioned there, Blake, um, it's, it's kind of under foreshadowing, it's kind of a literary device, but yeah, yeah. Of, of JK Rowling, um, picking up on so many early themes in Philosopher's Stone at the very <sighs> end in Deathly Hallows is just so a, a work of art, you know, it's amazing. Like when, when, when you think about the fact that we start the story with Griphook and Ollivander hear very little from them, and then they play such a crucial role at the end brilliant yeah, it's um, amazing Quinn cores and the wand lore wand lore is discussed so little and harry you know um harry's angry at himself in deathly hallows for not knowing more about it but no one knows yeah. anything um about wand lore and and yet it's so crucial at the very end um and so that yeah, again this huge foreshadowing um not only 
like you've mentioned, between Voldemort and Harry. But as you also said, that Fox, again, plays a role here that will um, be really important um, as, as the thing which connects Dumbledore, Harry, and Voldemort is Fox the Phoenix. Um, yeah. Just marvelous. Um, and then one, one other note on foreshadowing is that I think um, a, a bit of a, a minor Ellen foreshadowing is that we see here in Her- in Hagrid's uh, description of the of why you'd have to be a fool to try and rob Gringotts, we see that, <laughs> that he actually knows pretty much what what's going on. Yeah, uh, is is that later in in Deathly Hallows when um, Harry, Hermione, and Ron try to rob Bellatrix's vault? They experience mm. everything that Hagrid mentions. You know, they experience the spells and the enchantments. They and experience the dragon. The dragon dragon far away um and and you know this seems like something hagrid might have just been you know he, you know he heard it from a friend at the uh at the hog's head that there was a dragon yes. yeah and gringotts but he's right he's exactly right uh, and and i mean i think that's almost part of the significance of this chapter is uh so much of the foreshadowing of so much of uh, the little like nuggets that jk gives us um but you know uh, hagrid picking up that sort of small dirty little package the philosopher's stone and, and bringing it to hogwarts so we know that that's where that is moved um and uh, and also that harry receives hedwig and uh, I, I think that is really important because that is a, a connection that harry has uh when he is back home um at four privet drive that um Harry has a connection to the wizarding world and that's through Hedwig, you know, it's something that he can look at Hedwig and be like, no, all of that was real. That's right. That's right. And, and for so many of his summers when he's not receiving letters for various reasons, whether it's um, Dobby um, not um, allowing letters to come through or whether it's um, for his own safety that people aren't sending letters, um, he goes through some pretty isolated times and Hedwig is his one companion that lasts in both worlds. Um, yeah. That's so, so important. And it, and again, yeah. it's a gift from Hagrid. You know, I, I have no doubt Blake that in this uh, series of podcasting, we're going to be pretty hard on Hagrid sometimes, um, but we can never yeah. forget just how important he is to, uh, to Harry and his. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, so I, I don't know how much animals cost, but like, uh, you know, a, a snowy white owl would probably be pretty expensive. It's a, it's a pet, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we can pay up, upwards of $1,500 for a, a dog, a purebred dog or something. So surely this beautiful snowy white owl would be very expensive, but like Hagrid's got a bit of money saved and he just, he loves Harry uh, and is, uh, you know, just, uh, it's so special for him to receive that gift from Hagrid. Um, and, uh, and, and I don't, I don't think Harry really thinks much of it or it's not written down at least in the books, um, but surely Harry's got to be, you know, thankful, thankful for it. Definitely. And, and I don't think he, um, I don't think he realizes just how few students will have owls either. Um, yeah. It's, it's a pretty, pretty big status symbol, you know? Especially yeah, so true. To I feel like they must be more of the expensive animal because they do things like they carry post and stuff like that. They're a much more magical kind of creature um, that, that one can have. Uh, but yeah, so, I mean, we get treated in this whole chapter, Josh. I think it's, it's really uh, such a fun chapter to read because you actually learn so much more about the Wizarding World and now we're kind of on an equal footing with Harry and uh, we know us so much and but I think that puts this episode in the books sounds good to me Blake yeah I think so so uh, for those listening we would love to hear your feedback so head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from and leave a review your reviews help keep the magic alive to continue the adventure join us next time as we discuss the sixth chapter of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone the journey from platform nine and three quarters